0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Folks, we have an amazing show tonight. I sound like Ed Sullivan from years ago. It's probably no one out there as old as me that remembers Ed Sullivan. Anyway, at the Voice out we have a fantastic show. And I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy Kwanzaa, whatever holiday you celebrate because I'm sure I'm not going to hit every single holiday, but spend time with your friends, your family. Enjoy this season. And someone asked me to make this announcement. If you're out there imbibing, drinking alcoholic beverages, please don't drive. If you drink, don't drive. There's so many options these days. You take an Uber, bring a couple extra bucks with you. You Venmo the evil uh, You don't even have to Venmo them. It's, it's all set up in your phone. You can even give them a tip, but it's better to pay the Uber driver, 40 or 50 bucks, then pay the attorney 5,000 bucks as a down payment, right? And plus it's against the law. So enjoy the holidays, but if you drink, don't drive. So folks, we're gonna talk tonight about Rex Ewerman and his time, what he's doing in the Suffolk County Jail. We're hearing so many different rumblings, so many new things, because this investigation is for sure not over. So hang on to your seats get ready you're about to enter the off-the-cuff zone the police off-the-cuff zone there has to be some common sense
1: yes, sir. We still don't know who pulled the trigger.
0: We're back, so I'm gonna get right into it, guys. I'm going to bring on my two co-hosts, and we have an unbelievable guest. He's been on once before. I'm going to surprise you as I bring him in. But first, I'm going to bring in my first co-host, and he's from Brooklyn, straight out of Brooklyn. He's running all across Brooklyn, picking up cannolis from all different locations and delivering them like in a Santa Claus outfit to people less fortunate than him. And he's a retired NYPD detective. Welcome, Phil Grimoli to the show. Phil, how you doing? Hey. I'm doing good, Billy. How about you? What about it? <laughs> good to see you. And we good also have you, retired nypd sergeant professor at Albertus Magnus College. He picked up a law degree along the way. And now we say the man of reason, Professor Michael Geary.
2: Hey Billy, good evening. Good to see you and Phil. Good evening, everybody. Good, good to see you. See you. And you
0: know, we have Mike, and I if I always say you're the man of reason, but ever since I met Sheriff Errol Toulon. He's got this real calm manner. He's a highly educated guy, has more years in corrections than most lifers have done in prison. And he's an unbelievable guy. Welcome to the show, Sheriff Errol Toulon.
3: Thank you. Great being on with you guys. Thank you.
0: You know, Sheriff, I mean that. I mean, when I had you on the show the last time, you're so calm. Is that the way you are at work?
3: Uh, Yes, I've been like this uh, for 41 years in law enforcement
0: that's unbelievable uh, just the fact that you've done 41 years is enough to be uh, just off off the charts so let's get right into it okay one of the things we wanted to talk about and when i heard about it and uh, this isn't really brand new news but when you follow the news and you follow the uh the news cycle they were speaking about specifically law and crime was speaking about that at least 10 or 12 former escorts have reported, and they quoted you as saying this, have had interactions with Rex Uhrman. Could you speak upon that, Sheriff?
3: Sure. As of right now, our uh, Sheriff's Anti Trafficking Unit has uh, reported, we've interviewed about 165 women between the Suffolk County Jail and also the Nassau County Jail. And we have 15 reports that we have of women who have said that they know something about Mr. Uhrman or they've had some sort of interaction. Uh, with him. So those reports have been given to the um, Gilgo Beach Task Force for review uh, to see the validity of their claims. And, you know, it's something that we do realize that some women may want their 15 minutes of fame and some may have actually had some sort of encounter with him. And so the task force will cull through all that information uh, to see what's valid and what uh, may bring to light with anything regarding Rex Heurman
0: this is uh specifically what I was referring to right here
1: I want to start off with potential uh witness testimony and when I talk about these updates just when
0: you're counting on Santa to bring it home well he's talking about it specifically what what we just referenced is that all of these former let me let me just uh let me remove this. The sex uh, this,
1: workers. Oh, there we go. Claim to have had interactions with Rex Huerman. Now the sheriff said they're still working to verify these claims. But
0: you know, sheriff, it's, I, this isn't. It's, it's not going too well here. Hang on. In jail as Huerman, and we've told everybody before on sidebar that Hewerman was reportedly this. All right, I'm going to remove that. So th- what they're talking about basically is that. uh, these women that are in the same jail have made allegations that they have had contact with Rex Shuman. Have you been able to vet that information, to check it out?
3: So the uh, Gilgo Beach Task Force is the group that will be vetting everything out that we uh, accumulate, any data or any information. What we're doing currently is actually uh, interviewing not only, as I said, the women in our jail, we started in Nassau County, and then we will be moving to New York City to interview any sex workers uh, that may be housed on Rikers Island.
0: Wow. Phil, you got a
1: question asked ask the sheriff? Well, I think he laid it out pretty good. Uh, a lot of the uh, things that came forward in this case post arrest. Uh, People came out of the woodwork. We know the stuff that came with the uh, different attorneys, Shannon Gilbert's attorney. And I think he kind of laid it out pretty good when he said that they're going to interview these people and they're going to try and determine who's looking for their 15 minutes of fame and trying to throw their hat into the ring of this uh, serial killer major case or who actually can be corroborated that. Yes, they do have information that they did have contact with Rex Eumann. That's what we try to stress when we talk about any of these investigations. People could come forward with information, whether it be credible or not, has to be vetted. So I think he kind of laid that out really good. And I think that the task force is probably in high gear trying to figure out if uh, any of these women that came forward, or the, the I think he talked about 15, 16 different people, whether or not they actually did have uh, contact with Rex. And I'm sure they're going to uh, interview them extensively to find out what uh, transpired in that contact. Mike, you got a question for Sheriff yeah. 2 uh,
2: Sheriff, um, with some of the uh, women who are actually presently in custody in, say, Suffolk County in your jail or in Nassau County, um, is there any thought to perhaps... For their cooperation, that charges may be reduced or may be dropped uh, in exchange for some testimony?
3: You know, that would be up to the district attorney, whether Nassau County or Suffolk County, to um, uh, make that sort of deal with an individual that may have uh, any information. But what's interesting is that now uh, the sex workers that are in our custody are informing us of women who may have been, uh, may have had interaction with them, who may have never been arrested. And oh, so with that, you know, now we're embarking on women who are not in our custody or have never been in our custody that we're seeking to find and work, work to see if they have any, any information also.
0: Okay. Sheriff, you know, I got a, a real good question, I think. I'm gonna, and I'm going to ask you, of these 10 or 12 women that came forward that gave you gave you information, has the information been vetted and part B to that? Um, will it help in the prosecution of Rex Human?
3: So the information is still currently being vetted uh, by the Gilgo Beach Task Force. But importantly, I think it's um, anything that we may learn about Rex Human, whether it's uh, you know uh, a, a phone call, an email or a text exchange, you know, will help us in the investigation and really put, you know, uh, you three know much better than me the pieces of the puzzle, together to see if Rex Herman actually, um, you know, had encountered uh, with some of these other women. You know, it's very interesting when we talk to these women, you know, we started to learn more about just the sex trafficking trade and how these women exchange information uh, regarding a particular John. It may be very aggressive and how they communicate with each other on various social media platforms. Or if a John is uh, tips very well, you know, how they will let uh, another sex worker know, uh in case that uh, person does reach out to them. And so there is a, a whole network or community of these, uh, you know, these women that are sex workers and they're, they're communicating with each other.
0: But, you know, Sheriff, I would imagine also uh, that a lot of the women in the escort trade and the sex trade have um, drug and alcohol problems. So, I would imagine that verifying and vetting the information that that they're putting forth is difficult. And especially if it goes back, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. I mean, all of us now, of course, we're in the cell phone generation, but we weren't always, right? What was the year I think that cell phones came out where if you didn't have one, someone looked at you like you were were strange, right? I think I was one of the last last people, it might have been like 19... 97 98 right around there early
1: 90s is when they started to come yeah but not everyone had them right Right, away right right away if you had one people like looked at you funny if you had one in those days yes and that we all look at
0: digital evidence now as some of the strongest evidence so can we go back and dig out some of this digital evidence to vet the information
1: that these escorts are giving us I think we lost him. Oh. Billy, can I just make a quick comment? I think that, uh, you know, interviewing these sex workers is, is probably one of the uh, tasks that the, the task force has. And it could possibly provide, uh, you know, uh, his behavior with these women. You know, uh, serial killers are into control. It's it's not really about the sex so much. It's more about the control of the person. I did. I, I watched the documentary the other night about uh a different serial killer. And uh, he actually did an interview. He, he gave a lot of information why he did it. Uh, and it was really more about control. Jeffrey Dahmer was the one that I watched and it was about control. So I think that if they interview these sex workers and they can establish that perhaps they were involved with Rex Eumann and, and they get uh, into detail about what transpired while he was with them, if there was any type of a, a control factor, I think that might give a profile of what they're looking for in a serial killer. And perhaps the district attorney's office can put that forward in court and, you know, provide like a, a, a groundwork for, look, this is what he did in the past. Uh, these women weren't or wh- woman or women weren't killed, but perhaps, uh, he exhibited some, uh, some behavior that would be consistent with a serial killer. You know, we're, we're losing uh, Sheriff Toulon again. Yeah, uh, he, he, at one point he said he couldn't hear you, Bill,
0: okay.
2: so I noticed... Uh, oh, okay. okay. You know, it would be a... kind of interesting to see if uh, any of these uh, ladies at the interview can shed some light on what uh, his wife's role might be if they if their meetings were point, at home. Because if Because if they, if they could show a pattern of behavior with Rex and his wife working together... Um, then it kind of puts a little bit of different spin on Asa Alsrup's, uh you know, complete uh, innocence. So that would be kind of interesting, too.
0: Sheriff uh, T- uh, Toulon, what uh, Professor Mike was talking about was, I'm sure you watched the press conference with Attorney John Ray, and in fact, uh, Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison was standing right next to him. And I, I we did a couple of shows on it, I couldn't help but, Ah, uh, read Rodney Harrison's body language, and uh, his body language was—he it was—it wasn't saying positive things. It was—it was there was some dismay, I think, in his body language, and um, that's a big thing because John Ray has brought out several witnesses, and you know, everyone reported that like it was gospel, like this was the truth, because they had signed affidavits, which just means. What they're telling they believe to be true doesn't mean it is the truth. Your thoughts? Oh, lost them. <laughs> he it seems like he has a bad connection. He must have. But so, you know, when I wanted to get uh, Sheriff Toulon's opinion on that, because what? uh he's coming back on. Hopefully, I get him in here and uh, with a stronger signal.
3: Uh, We're I, losing you. I'm sorry about that. I, I don't it's know okay. if I need to restart everything, but. You know that was a very interesting press conference and i think that um you know, you know some of us wondered what was mr ray's uh, ulterior motive behind uh holding that press conference when actually it should be the law enforcement community uh uh really getting out to the public and and uh asking for their their information uh he is not part of this investigation never has been and probably never will be uh we will take any any information he can provide but it was uh, something that some of us were all scratching our heads about
0: well it seems specifically uh, district attorney Ray Tierney was a little perplexed he put out a um, a, uh, you a, know, statement. A, a statement in regards to his displeasure uh, that former police commissioner Rodney Harrison was there but right away one of the things when you when you watch the media and even what we do in regards to doing a podcast, many people bought it hook line and sinker and i questioned immediately right from the get go how do we know that any of this is true even a bit of it when it it's it's unverified and because someone signs an affidavit it just means they believe it to be true doesn't mean it in fact is true professor mike
2: yeah billy uh, you know what you have is an affiant signing a statement saying to the best of my knowledge and recollection what I'm putting down on paper here is the truth. And I recall in 1996 or 1997, because remember, some of these allegations date back many years, uh, 2007, 2008. And, um, you know, what we remember, we could, you know, back 10 years ago or five years ago, we may be off by months. We may be, we may think this, remember the spring is the fall or the summer as the spring, you know, and Months difference in months, April to September, that sort of thing. Um, It's not chiseled in stone. It has to be vetted. And for some of the people in the audience that don't know what that means, that means uh, Phil goes out there, you go out there and you're sitting there and you're asking them a hundred different questions, a hundred different ways to try to see if their story doesn't change. How accurate is it? What are some of the indications of reliability? Did they remember that A a particular date, April two thousand and seven, because it was um, their birthday. I think at one point they were talking about February of maybe two thousand fourteen or whatever it was, and it was happened to be around Valentine's Day. You know, certain milestones that people remember uh, something that really sticks in their mind. So it has to be vetted, and I hope people don't realize. I hope people realize that the information, in order to be vetted has to be gone over. Is there any objective indications like a cell phone record, an email, uh, you know, uh, a a release from detention, an arrest date, you know, all of those things that help solidify the reliability of that information. Because until we can test it, we don't know if it's reliable or not. And if it's not reliable, um, then it's not going to make it into a court of law, no matter how well-intentioned. the speaker is, or the affiant is.
0: Well, this is Nikki Brass, who was one of the first to come out. We uh, a few months oh, ago. yes,
2: yeah. To be the Gilgo Killer.
3: I don't believe it to be him. For one, night you're, you're convinced I'm, this is. I him. am convinced. I am a thousand percent sure. So this guy reaches out to you. Did he say immediately he wanted you to come to his house? Yes but the issue was he lives in Nassau County and he was in Massapequa and I'm not familiar with the area and I'm very locationally challenged. Like I need a GPS to go home and I could live there for five
2: years. Like
3: I'm I'm bad. So I, and I didn't have friends nearby in case anything happened. So I asked him if he would meet me in Port Jeff.
0: You know, this is one of the escorts that was, um, was was one of the ones making allegations very early on and you could see that um she's not sure sheriff of of any specific dates times locations because she even in her own words she says she's locationally challenged
3: yes and you know also i guess i'm not sure if there were other mitigating issues that she was experiencing uh in her personal life
0: Oh, we
1: lost them again. We keep losing the sheriff, guys. Uh, bill, Billy, can I piggyback what Mike said a little early? I just want to piggyback. He he mentioned about uh, it, you know there was uh, something
3: Johnny Ray Ma- said. Yeah, wait, that hang we, on. Go ahead.
1: go ahead. we have him or no?
0: We got your Sheriff.
3: Go oh boy, I'm still having trouble.
0: Yeah, so you're coming in and out.
3: Wow. Did you I'm guys did you
0: guys pay the Wi-Fi bill out there in Suffolk County?
3: <laughs> yeah, you know it's uh it's it's tough. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have high taxes here, but you know, I, I do think that Miss Brass did have uh, uh, some validity to some of the information that she had because she came out very early on. You know, some of the other sex workers that we have interviewed have really pretty much piggybacked off of what um, uh, the media has said or information that's known to everyone. So, you know, some of the things that she claimed in the area that she was, uh, especially uh, going out with him in Port Jeff, uh, Port Jeff I believe it was. Yes. So, you know, I know that uh, her information was being looked at very carefully also.
0: You know, I wanted to ask also the information that many of them gave uh, and specifically Attorney John Ray, I don't want to call him Johnny Ray because it sounds disrespectful, but Attorney John Ray, the, the, the specific information he came with, which by the way, as I said earlier, the media bought it hook, line and sinker. It was being reported as the gospel truth the new information the new smoking gun we haven't heard anything about it since which leads me to believe that it's unvetted information it's information they were been un- unable to verify your thoughts sheriff
3: yes not only was it unvetted it, should, it was probably dis- uh spoken about in the wrong form you know if it was presented to the district attorney's office or at least to the gilgo beach task force at least they could have vetted that information i don't know if he wanted credit but you know uh we still have not really uh moving forward with any of the information that he has provided
0: well he had according to uh the other attorney the um the wife's attorney yes Robert Macedonio and I always say him and his his associate they wear sneakers because they chase a lot of ambulances you know and he it's it's unbelievable like he came across out against attorney John Ray and I know they know each other because the other associate was, used to work with John Ray, uh, Ves Metev. He was an associate of John Ray's like five, ten years ago. So it's a very small world, Suffolk County. But I remember he was speaking out against him on the Dan Abrams show. This was Robert uh, Robert Macedonio. And he was claiming that he was making all this stuff up because he wants to recoup, recoup tens of thousands of dollars that he spent on this investigation he's never been able to recoup because there's no one the family of shannon gilbert had no money so he was just sort of taking that case pro bono and wasn't getting paid phil
1: yeah what i was going to say i was going to piggyback what mike said earlier this is probably uh very good that they're going to interview these workers and if they do find a sex worker that did have interaction with rex human and did go to his house then uh, you could clearly maybe uh put to rest that his wife is involved or that they were bisexual, or any of the antics that Johnny Ray came out with. So I think this is a good way of vetting some of the things that he said. If we find other people and uh, other sex workers, and they are credible, they say, no, when I went there, the house was empty, he was alone, there was no one there, uh, blah, blah, blah. I think it kind of put to rest some of the uh, wild conspiracies that he came out with. Well, you know,
0: some of the some of the stories that, uh, that uh, Attorney John Ray came up with, I mean, first of all, one of them was from 16, excuse me, I think it was 17 years ago because they claimed the, the woman, uh, Sheriff Talon, was Karen Vergata, the woman that came to the house with the narcotics detective from New York City and the African-American female who was driving. And the, the third person in the car, according to John Ray, was Karen Vergata.
3: Yeah, you know, it, John really has come up with some interesting information that, uh, <laughs> as I said, related. Really, the task force is really going to have to vet. Um, I haven't heard anything regarding uh, the validity or lack thereof of anything that he may have presented. Um, you know, we obviously think he did it in the wrong form. The wrong form. Uh, but, yeah, you know, absolutely he needed to press for himself.
0: Yeah, how else could the information be vetted if it's not presented to the Gilgo task force and the detectives who are working on this case that are able to verify times, places, locations, uh, digital evidence, all of those things, the, the credibility of the
1: witness itself. that There's a lot to that also. Billy, he could have been uh, a little bit more credible had he said, well, there was another person present and it could have been Karen Vergata." He said it with conviction like he knew it for sure. He doesn't know it for sure. He This is what he wants, the pieces of the puzzle to fit into this case, is that he wants to put those things forward again, for his benefit. Uh, I don't think that uh, a lot of what he said, he was so all over the map with that press conference. And uh, a lot of what he said uh, didn't seem logical to me. I mean, Rex Ewellman in a bar, people firing shots, all these different things. I mean, that, that story was just completely, completely not consistent with what a serial killer like Rex Uman would have done. But Phil, we were one of the few
0: podcasts that questioned it. Everyone else, ate it like hook, line, and sinker like they were uh, a Long Island bluefish, you know? They, they
1: chopped right down on it and we were like, wait a minute. It's salacious. That's why, Billy, it's salacious. It's people want to play into it. You know, it, it, there's a little bit of a component with YouTube and stuff where it's almost like a uh, uh, a soap opera type uh, uh, atmosphere. So, again, when you have something salacious, something wild, something out of the ordinary, people buy into it. But, you know, we try to stay with facts and we know uh, from studying serial serial killers in the past, uh, many, many serial killers. They have a certain pattern and he had a pattern. Rex Newman definitely had a pattern and I don't think the pattern was that he was going to go to a bar, get drunk, fire shots and do all the different things that they were talking about. Those things may have really happened. And I believe that those people that signed those affidavits, it may have really happened to them, whether or not it's uh, involving Rex human is another story. And I think that's the uh, obligation of the task force to figure out to vet it. And I think that this is a great thing that they're finding these other sex workers, if they find one or two that really did have contact with Rex Human and they can talk about their interaction with him. I think that would give, uh, it would be more consistent to what he did with the other workers. And I think that would kind of, you know, uh, maybe put those things, those wild conspiracy theories to rest. You know, Sheriff, the, the, the sex
0: industry also is a very small industry obviously. And, and the workers, perhaps the, uh, the managers, I'll be kind. I won't use the word P I M P right. Uh, They all know each other. And with that said, when something bad happens to one of them, it seems like they will all know about it. So I think one of the best things that you do is I think you're one of probably the most proactive sheriffs, uh, correction official in the country. And that you're out in the community shaking the tree, as we used to say in the NYPD, and see what falls out of that tree. Would you comment upon that?
3: You know, I think we have an advantage because these women are in our custody and because they do know each other and they do communicate with each other on various social media platforms that, um, you know, we do have that advantage. But more importantly, it's giving it to some of the experts like the police department or the FBI, the New York State Police or even a district attorney's office. But we do have this little niche. Uh, We were the first ones in the country to create a, a human trafficking unit inside of a jail or prison united States and we started this in 2018 really with no information about Gilgo we really from what we learned about from the media of the law enforcement officers so now we're able once we're put on a task force to have actually cultivate some uh, pertinent questions that can assist the task force in um, uh, moving this investigation along and you know I do feel within the upcoming months we're going to see a uh, a fourth arrest of uh, that's uh, for Rex Herman.
0: Uh, you mean a fourth charge? Yeah, fourth, fourth charge, charge for Brainerd, Brainerd
3: charge for uh Maurice Barnes, Barnes, right? Right, Direct.
0: absolutely. And you know, everyone's waiting on that. In fact, the media waiting very impatiently, as if he's going somewhere. If they don't do this really quickly, you know, it's it, it, it's unbelievable. And you know, in that uh that whole kaleidoscope of the media and instant news and reporting all of this stuff, it's great to get it from you, right, from the horse's mouth, as they would say. The information and what you know—are wh- you getting new information all the time in regards to Rex Human, or is it more or less slowed down since the deluge in the beginning? I think he's frozen, Bill. He froze up. I'm gonna have to. Geez, uh, and I
1: had—I had a good question for him too. I'm
0: gonna bring him back. Yeah,
3: I'm sorry. There I'm not, you, you go. Still, can you, uh, we got, got him. Yeah, down. you
0: froze for a second, Sheriff. Let me remove you again. I'll... Perhaps he's got to go yeah, out you know. and come back in. Yeah, you keep... You're, I you're tried that
3: me. already. If you want, I could do it again.
0: You no, know, you, you, I was hearing you just now, so... Yeah, we...
1: Go ahead, talk. Uh, Sheriff, can you hear us? Give us a thumbs up if you can hear us. Oh, no, he's frozen. No, he's
0: frozen up. Let me remove him and I'll put him back in. Folks, sorry, we're getting... Uh, the Sheriff Toulon may have a bad a Wi-Fi signal. I'm going to bring him back in. And uh, it's a shame because he's an unbelievable guest. Oh, gangster. man,
1: I had a couple of good questions. So. He'll be back. All there right, good.
0: Go. So, yeah, I wanted to uh, – let, let me also, while we're, while we're waiting for the sheriff to come back on, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. And if you want to contribute to us financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a YouTube channel membership. We count five different levels, and we appreciate all our fans, our subs, and our friends that we've met over the years on the Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories podcast. Let me bring everyone back on. Uh, Sheriff, can you hear us?
3: Yes, I'm really sorry. I don't know. Okay. It's yeah. got to yeah. be the
0: Wi-Fi signal. But Phil, what was the question you had for Sheriff? Well, I was going
1: to ask him, get a little bit off of the topic of the sex workers that are being interviewed. What is a daily day in the life of Rex Human jail? Does he sure. have access to, does he have, can you hear me? I don't think he heard me. <laughs> Sheriff, can you hear me? Yeah, he keeps. Jeez.
3: Hang on.
0: <laughs> Sheriff, can you hear
3: Yes, I can. I can oh, hear you, Bill, but I can't hear Mike or Phil.
0: Oh my God! What yeah. he was going, what Phil was asking the Sheriff, was that what is a day in the life of Rex Human like right now? Does he have well,
1: access to computers, Billy? Uh, sure.
0: Things like
3: that. So, you know, he participates in all services. You know, he he's sleeping in the cell. He's by himself uh, in a particular housing area. We have a correction officer that monitors him. Uh, he goes to any service that uh, is afforded to any other individual that 's incarcerated, so religious services recreation um, he 'll go to law library, which he uh, you know reviews all of discovery for his case and and, and there 's really no restrictions. The only restriction that we have is that when he moves throughout the jail, we stop all inmate movement uh, because we don 't want anyone to attack him. Uh, we prefer the justice to serve in the courts and not in our jails so that 's why we um have taken special precautions when we do move him uh, to and from uh, his housing area throughout the jail.
0: You know, one a follow-up of that, of course, now with his wife, Asa Ellerup with this seven-figure uh, documentary series where she allegedly got seven figures. Her attorney, Robert Macedonio, got 400000 This is what was reported. And uh, Vesmatev, who represents the human uh, the children, the adult children, he allegedly got two hundred thousand. Does that affect the amount of times? How often is she visiting now? Is she? Is that? Is that been upped since she got this documentary deal?
3: No, actually, she's only visited one time, and no other family member has visited him since. So we, um, you know, we are, um, you know, very cognizant of what's going on, especially with the deal with, uh, I believe, it's Paramount Plus. That um they may be able to try and gain access into our facilities, but we're we're prepared for that now,
0: yeah, so one of them may actually just get arrested so he could sneak his camera in there to to be in the jail and get and
1: get the big story
3: <laughs> what, they what about getting the jail but their camera won't
1: <laughs> right yeah. Billy, what about access to com- oh, we lost him again. It's all right. Just keep asking the question. We'll bring Yeah. Uh, what about? I'm I'm curious if he had. Listen, we know about all the different searches that he did when he had his computer before he was arrested. Now I noticed probably a block on the computers in the jail, but does he have access to a computer? Can he do emails? Can he do uh, you know internet searches? That's what really what, one of the questions I was going to ask him.
0: I think one of the big things that we also want to ask the Sheriff Tulan is the recent uh, reports that he's a pen pal with the happy face killer, which is sort of outrageous. Uh, Kevin Hunter, just person. And that's who the happy face killer is, who's got convicted of eight murders. And allegedly uh, Rex Uman has been well, not more than allegedly. They have copies of his letters to this individual. He's been corresponding with the Happy Face Killer, and uh, I, I would like to ask uh, Sheriff.
3: Oh, okay, you you're back. I'm trying a different device.
0: Okay, Sheriff, I don't know if you heard. We were talking about his pen pal, his new pen okay. pal, um, the Happy Face Killer, uh, uh, Keith Hunter Jesperson. Person are you up on that and if you have you read the letters that he's writing to the happy face killer
3: you know because you know the new uh commission of corrections law we do not read anyone's mail uh we only search the mail to ensure that there's no contraband uh in the mail but we actually do not read anyone's mail um you know we may make copies to know if there's any If we receive contraband, who may have sent that contraband? But we're not reading anyone's mail. So uh, um, I have heard through media accounts uh, about it, but uh, we're not familiar with that.
0: You know, an interesting thing about the letter was that the happy face killer told him that he should plead guilty so that his trial is not a spectacle and that it'll be over with quicker. It'll uh, be easier on his family. I mean, how ridiculous is another serial killer giving legal advice to a serial killer, alleged serial killer who's about to stand trial.
3: It you sounds, know, I, I it think from outrageous. what I, I I've spoken to other jurisdictions, and it seems like it's very common when this type of case comes up that other serial killers or those that are are involved with crimes do try to connect with each other. But I'm not sure if Rex has uh, reached reached back out to him. So um, you know, I, I guess it remains to be seen if there's uh, more correspondence. So you know that, what uh,
0: Professor Geary? Isn't that sort of an indication? I'll use your favorite expression: a consciousness of guilt that he is corresponding with another serial killer, almost like they're they're communicating because they're birds of a feather flock together, as they say.
2: Well, I think what was more telling than anything else was um, uh, we were we were told in the media that. Uh, you know, Hureman made some interesting comments about, about what I was gonna say. I'm trying to think of what the particular comment was, but he never actually outright denied, you know, I am not that person, you know, that sort of thing. Um, So I think if the idea, that if, you know, if somebody's asking you, Billy, are, are you a serial killer or you should come clean, you would think that, and you know, and confess and get it over with. And if you weren't, the the, uh, if you as the accused were not uh, guilty at all and you were completely factually innocent, you would say, I don't know what you're talking about. This is all a big mistake. Um, I have no idea why this ever came about. I am totally innocent. Anything else that seems to kind of not directly answer the question and affirm your complete innocence may be... Uh, a little bit, or maybe perceived as to be a little bit of consciousness of guilt. Uh, it's a stretch, but perhaps yes. Yeah.
0: You know, Sheriff, someone in the chat was concerned with why, and you probably can't answer this because you, you can't answer for him, but I'll just make it rhetorically. Why did Rodney Harrison appear in a press conference with John Ray, attorney John Ray? And I had answered this on other ones, and I think that he just wanted to sort of shut the door, because John Ray potentially could, could become a witness for the defense by saying, yes, the police, I had all this information for the police, and they wouldn't cooperate with me. But Rodney Harrison did cooperate, and that was shown by him appearing in a press conference with him and listening to the information he put forth. Your thoughts?
3: You know, I, I think that the information could have still been put, uh, brought forth, um, to the door or uh, behind closed doors and not necessarily in the spectacle of, uh, uh, you know, the, with the media there. Uh, I, I don't and I can't answer because I never asked Rodney why uh, he was there or what he was thinking um, when he uh, spoke to Mr. Ray. So, you know, unfortunately, I I can't answer. I do know that that information was presented to the task force uh, for review. But, you know, we have such a voluminous amount of uh, information and phone calls and, you know, alleged text messages and, you know, things like that that we're going through. It's just really, and like I said, you three know far better than I do when it comes to investigations like this. But it's going to take some time to really get through everything, and I'm sure at some point, uh, the district attorney will um, reveal whatever information uh, should be known to the public.
0: 100%. And I think that, you know, you're right with that, is that, um, and I'm, I'm just answering for uh, PC Police Commissioner Harrison as to why he may have uh, been in a press conference. Bill, with, can I uh,
1: comment on that real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Listen, I didn't talk to Rodney Harrison about it, but I it seems to me that perhaps... Don Ray was going to do this press conference. He's doing it no matter what. And maybe uh, the police commissioner wanted to get out ahead of it, by going there with him to give the indication that, yes, we're going to take this information. We're going to see if it, it's uh, got any validity. We're going to vet it. We're going to see if it has any credibility at all, if there is anything that's consistent with something that Rex Ewellman may have done in the past. I think that would be the only reason that I would have, if I were a police commissioner, to stand next to him during that press conference. If he tells him, I'm doing a press conference, this is what I'm going to say. If you want to be there, you can be with me. And perhaps he wanted to get out in front of it because of the history in the Suffolk County Police Department with the corruption of Burke and all the different things and the Spoda, the uh, the, uh, former prosecutor in Suffolk County. So perhaps he wanted to uh, maybe get out in front of it and say, listen, we're going to take every bit of information that comes in, even if it's Johnny Ray, whether it's good or not, we're going to vet it. We're going to look at it. We're going to give it to the task force and see if it's uh, relevant to this case. That's my opinion of why I think he went there. Uh, Very possible. You know,
0: Sheriff, I wanted to ask, the task force is still together, correct? And do my part B B to that is, do you guys have, uh, say, monthly meetings to keep everyone apprised of any potential new developments or to keep the lines of communication open?
3: So the the members of the task force in the same together working with each other, uh, and that has not stopped. Uh, anytime there's a briefing, uh, someone from a representative of that agency would brief, um, you know, the their head of their organization. And then if, if there was something that's really relevant where uh, it's a break in the case or there's more information that would be given to the public, you know, uh, I would speak to the, the head of the, chief, the uh, uh, New York State Police, of course, our district attorney, um, you know, Rodney has now left the uh, Suffolk County Police Department. So I would speak to the acting commissioner and then also, you know, the, the FBI. So we're still in very much, uh, in communication and working together, uh, you know, to try and get as much information, uh, regarding Rex Heerman and also, uh, the other, other victims in this case.
0: You know, that's all we really hear about. And you indicated that the potentially the, the potential for the, another case to be dropped upon him, Maureen Brainerd Barnes is, uh is nearing. It potentially could happen very very soon. However, there's at least seven there's seven other bodies that he needs to answer for. You know, and I always thought that when he was arrested and even perhaps when he goes to trial or after he goes to trial, if he is found guilty, that might be the time that he comes clean and tells about everything because he will get life in prison without parole and maybe trading that for more privileges uh, is a potentiality, but that'll be after his trial. Your thoughts, Professor Geary?
2: Yeah, Billy, that's his bargaining chip. If, you know, there's, I think the public should be prepared that uh, if Maureen Brainerd Barnes' indictment, uh, the indictment for Maureen Brainerd Barnes' death doesn't come through, and they end up going to trial on just three out of the uh, probably dozen uh, you know, uh, bodies that have been found. Uh, the public is going to have to just come to terms with it and say, Well, you know, there wasn't enough evidence to take it to trial. And then our suspicions may be right, he may be the person in charge uh, responsible, but we have to live with it and say, Okay, uh, if he's convicted on three, that's enough. We put him away and for life. And for him, all he's got would be uh, some information. We see this oftentimes with serial killers wanting to avoid. The, the electric chair in, in different states, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the big needle, you know, that sort of thing, they will um, answer and tell about other uncharged crimes and things like that. That's all he'll have. He'll, he'll, he can use that perhaps, like, uh, as some sort of leverage to get a little bit of a better deal, uh, like Joel Rifkin, maybe to get a uh, interview every once in a while, keep his name in the news, maybe somebody, a criminologist would want to come to visit him. That's all he'll have. It's If he's convicted, that's all he'll have is a little bit of information that he could trade for some privileges. And um, that that may be the future. That may be his future.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Sheriff Toulon, someone in the chat wants to know if there is a short list of names of for potential the next Suffolk County Police Commissioner.
3: You know, a, a, according to Newsday, there were several names. Uh, Kevin Catalina, who I'm sure uh, all of you know, who is uh, deputy chief with the NYPD and currently my uh, undersheriff, uh, I believe Stu Cameron, former chief of the department and uh, former uh, acting commissioner. Rob Waring, uh, former uh, current chief of department, uh, is another name that I hear. No those seem to be uh, just some of the names that I see reported in the media not through any discussions that I've had with him
0: So, Sheriff, the, the name retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon has never come up?
3: Uh, it was mentioned, but they, they don't think they should afford you. It was
1: vetoed rather quickly. He's too busy doing a podcast. <laughs> uh, Sheriff, can I ask you a question? Now, You obviously have intimate knowledge of this case. <laughs> Do you believe that Rex Ewellman is responsible for all of these victims? I mean, uh, it seems likely to me, but what's your opinion, if you can give it?
3: Uh, I, do, I do believe that he is the uh, uh, the crime that he's accused of. He is the individual that committed uh, the three that he's currently incarcerated for. Uh, it remains to be seen if he's um, uh, linked to the other murders but I can tell you that I, I do feel very strongly. One of the things that Professor was talking about, you know, since he's in our custody and, you know, I've seen from John Gotti to uh, uh, Bernard Getz to uh, Joel, um, Joel Steinberg, you know, in my custody. And he has shown no emotion whatsoever, especially just thinking about being in jail. Uh, you know, no head on the bars, no remorse, no pacing in his cell. You know, very calm, very stoic. Um, He does what he's supposed to do. Of course, the first week or uh, 10 days, he was in our custody. He was in protective custody. So, um, you know, he's a very uh, interesting individual.
0: You know, Sheriff, I just had to say you say he shows no emotion. If you put a slice of pizza in front of him, does he show a little bit of emotion? (laughs)
3: He probably w- he probably wouldn't he probably say um, he probably asked if, uh, if that was for him or someone else and if he can eat it he's very compliant with uh, everything going on in the jail. He's not disruptive he's not uh, disrespectful um, you know he does everything he's supposed to do. Uh, he follows the orders of the of my staff.
1: The last time he ate a slice of pizza, it put him in the trick bag for uh, being a serial killer. They got his DNA
0: off of it. He'll be like, "Hey, I'm gonna make sure I eat every pass on the
1: pizza. (laughs) I'm gonna
0: eat every single scrap. I'm never throwing another. That's it. I'll either
1: pass on it or eat the crust and all."
0: (laughs) You know, Sheriff, you mentioned before earlier, uh, before we may have even been on the air that there's an interesting way that prisoners you have a big uh, fentanyl problem in the jail and they're able to put fentanyl in books. Isn't that correct? in I guess a dried form and then people they can pass over books and then people get fentanyl in that way. Could you explain that to us?
3: Sure. We, we've encountered many times individuals spraying fentanyl on pages of a book that the intended person supposed that it's mailed to would know what pages have fentanyl on them. And what they do is is that they'll rip the page out, they'll cut it into smaller uh, uh, pa- smaller pieces of paper that a person can put underneath their tongue and get the effect that they want from uh, you know the drug. And of course this is uh, fentanyl is worth 15 to 20 times more inside of our jails than it is uh, as far as street value. So it, it has become a big challenge and we've been working through technology. I'm very concerned that my staff uh could be affected uh because they're int- you know they're entrusted to search uh all the items coming into a jail through the mail uh we don't want our canines to be affected with fentanyl uh we've learned that certain gangs have put fentanyl inside ink cartridges and when they print items it just comes right out onto the piece of paper and those those uh, documents are then mailed uh some individuals have even attempted uh without an attorney knowing passing it to an attorney, and the attorney is trying to give it to the client, and because it's supposed to be legal mail or because the attorney is passing it, you know, that's something that we definitely, you know, uh, could barely search or barely look at. So, you know, it has become a big challenge with fentanyl, but it's just not us. When I talk to my partners in New York City or Nassau County, we're all dealing with the same issues of fentanyl um, in our jails.
0: You know that's something that we uh, in the outside world would never think anything about of the way contraband is moved in and out of jails, in and out of prisons. And we used to always say in the police department that if some of these people used this deviousness for good purposes, they would be rich, you know. But uh, they they're doing it for bad reasons, you know, and it because there is there is some ingeniousness to to doing some of the things they do.
3: I agree with you 100%. They could probably be so much more productive and lead really really good lives that enable them to support themselves and their family. Uh, But they chose this way of life, unfortunately.
0: Unbelievable. You know, Sheriff, I promised Victoria, your assistant, that we would speak about your very recent trip to El Salvador. And I don't think it was for Cinco de Mayo or anything like that. You weren't (laughs) going there for fun. (laughs) You were going there for business, and specifically it was to track and study MS-13, the gang, and some of their techniques. In fact, many of the El Salvadorian MS-13 gang members were in Brentwood, Long Island. They had a part of the prison called Brentwood. I mean, it's very ingenious to go over there and study their, their techniques and their methods because now Sheriff Toulon is going to know all about that. Go ahead, Sheriff.
3: Yeah, you know, I went there and I went to El Salvador in 2018 after I got elected. And at that time, there were 87 law enforcement officials that were that had died, not in the line of duty, but were killed by MS-13 members. And so uh, last year we had the Minister of Justice come to visit and speak at our gang conference, and he invited me back. And so myself and Catalina went there. Uh, We went there for five days. We visited the International Law Enforcement Academy the police, uh, police headquarters, the uh, police academy. And then we went to Ccot which is the maximum security jail for high level M13 and their rival gang, 18. And the interesting thing about this jail is there are 42 cells, 21 on each side, 60 to 70 people per cell. No mattresses yeah. on their bunks. They can only wear underwear and undershirts. They do not receive phone calls, mail visits, or commissary there's only two toilets there's no shower there's a bathing area and they have ms 13 and 18th street in the same cells they're not uh separating them uh according to their gang and i, I think some of the things that are most interesting is that because uh president Bukele, who's the new president of el salvador has cracked down tourism has gone up in el salvador the economy has gone up those that have fled as because of MS-13 are trying to get back. And because of the great job that they're doing, El Salvador, uh, MS-13 has fled El Salvador for Honduras, Ecuador, and the United States.
0: Wow. Now, what level of a problem is MS-13 in Nassau and Suffolk County? I know Suffolk County, a bigger problem, specifically (laughs) the town I previously mentioned, Brentwood, Long Island. Is it still as big a problem or have you guys gotten a handle on it?
3: I think with, with Rodney Harrison, Ray Tierney, and, and the work that the men and women in the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office is doing is that we really have a closer grip on these these individuals and also the other gang members like the Bloods and the Crips and the Trinitarios. And so we really have, a, I think, a stronghold on what's going on with some of these gang members out here to try and keep our community safe. We know that most of the violence is gang on gang or within the gang that's occurring, not necessarily innocent people in our community. Though we really, I think one of the benefits of this trip was to be able to exchange the information and be able to reach out to those in El Salvador. If we're, um, we have some questions and some information, uh, regarding, uh, graffiti or tattoos or, uh, any, any material we may, uh, discover that may be passed from one cell to another, not necessarily mail that we can now get interpreted, uh, from their government.
0: You know, you, you mentioned graffiti, and I remember in CompStat, where it was the meetings we used to go to as uh, squad, you know, bosses of the squads, and Chief Anamon always used to say it was if there was a shooting or a homicide, did you check the gang graffiti? And you'd be like, oh, oh yes, yeah, Chief, I did. What did it say? Oh, yeah. So you had to make sure that you did do that because, yeah, it, it's related, and it will tell you what different gangs are at a certain location. Sometimes they even take credit for it by posting certain right. things. And as we all know now, the, uh, the uh, social media is a treasure trove of information because sometimes people that do shootings and do murders, they start bragging about it on Facebook or on YouTube the next day. So right. all of us in law enforcement have to be fluent in all those languages.
3: You know, and also, you know, they're talking about it in the jails. I, I can't tell you how many times we have an attempted homicide or a homicide that may occur in certain areas that they're talking about it in our jail. And and just real quickly, when I was in, when I was in El Salvador, I came across two people that were actually from Suffolk County that were deported back to El Salvador. So, you know, interesting enough, you know, I ran one person with Port Jeff's, actually Port Jeff Station and Brentwood. So, you know, when you come across individuals that are in in an El Salvadorian jail, uh, their maximum security jail, and actually had walked on the United States soil, um, probably committing crimes, you know, you start to really wonder and think twice about what we're doing here.
0: Absolutely. Phil, you have a question?
1: Well, uh, I know that um, I have a relative that was a Suffolk County police officer, and he was telling me how uh, really ruthless the MS-13 gangs were, that they would actually try to intimidate police officers, detectives by showing up at their home, different things of that nature. And uh, I heard, you know, obviously some of the uh, killings that they did, they would kill people with uh, a machete to inflict maximum uh, pain and suffering as opposed to shooting them. So we know that they're definitely bloodthirsty. The fact that you're uh, trying to get a handle on it in the jails, the scary thing about what you said is that they're leaving El Salvador and coming to the other countries. And of course the United States with the open border policy that we have here. uh, I think that that's a great concern for us and the fact that you're on top of it in uh, Suffolk County, I think, is probably going to be a, a good thing, a positive thing in nature. But uh, that does sound a little bit concerning to me. Sheriff,
0: yeah, you may you know, chase them right back into New York City.
3: <laughs> good. Just get them out of Suffolk. I don't care. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mike, you got a question?
2: Yeah, just a quick question for sheriff, the sheriff. Uh, sheriff, um, have you had any Suffolk County correctional officers? Um, intimidated or threatened or their families threatened? Do you know if they've been threatened by any of these gang members that are in your in your facility?
3: No, luckily uh, in okay. the six years that I've been the sheriff, we have not had any intimidation. Uh, if, if that was to occur, uh, we do encourage our staff to report it because we would then provide protection for them and do what we have to do to ensure not only are they safe, but make sure that none of my officers are threatened. Good.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember with the NYPD, if you got threatened or followed home, you know what their response was? They'd give you a radio. Yeah. <laughs> what good is this up in uh, Dutchess County, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, take this radio. If you have a problem, you, I think I need a little more than a radio, you know, but uh, crazy. You know, Sheriff, I just want to say, and I touched upon this before, but this is really a proactive corrections. And it's great to see it because normally us laypersons on the outside here, and even us, those that were in law enforcement, we didn't see this level of proactive part of being a cog in the wheel of the criminal justice, uh, the whole criminal justice bureau, right? The whole, and what you're doing, being proactive and getting out into the community, it just helps everyone. And this was evidenced by the Gilgo beach task force, you know, the, uh, the Suffolk County Police Department, the FBI, right? The uh, Suffolk County DA's office, the Sheriff's Department, and the New York State Police. Five. Remember that movie, Fist? We make a fist and we're much stronger, right? <laughs> that's what this, I don't, I don't want to quote Sylvester Stallone, but that's what this was like. Having five different entities together <coughs> making a powerful statement and together, it makes a team that's very difficult to beat.
3: Yes, we have been, you know, uh, Rodney Harrison used to call him, myself, and uh, Ray Tierney the the big three uh, because (laughs) of uh, the way we, we, you know, the way we communicated because there hasn't been that type of communication, at least here in Suffolk County amongst these three uh, law enforcement organizations. And we have great collaboration, great communication, and we have no egos, which I think is the biggest thing. You know, whoever gets the credit gets the credit. We just want the bad guys off the street.
0: Right. And, you know, if Ray Tierney would have cooperated and shaved his head, you would have had three bald and The Super Three would have had bald heads, you know. But <laughs> the big three. The big, <laughs> the big bald three, they could have said. <laughs> he must not have been cooperating. You know, here he is with, he's got hair. You know, maybe he's, maybe he has a few more years of having hair. So he wasn't ready, he wasn't re- ready to take that style yet, you know. But, uh, <laughs> tremendous you know and all this stuff is is, is interconnected and, and and the success that the gilgo beach task force has had uh is really a reflection on all you guys and the fact that you know it took 11 12 years to reach where they reached and then in in like the first three or four months i believe rodney harrison was there you got a name of who the killer was and then you put the case together right. and it's really a reflection of great police work, great cooperation, cooperation in the whole Criminal Justice Bureau. And, you know, they always used to say, our partners, I used to hate when I would say that, but they would say, our partners in the criminal justice field, you know. And, of course, you're talking about partners with the FBI, partners with the District Attorney's Office, partners with the Sheriff Ca- the sheriff of Suffolk County, the Suffolk County Police, the New York State Police, all those partners. You think one bad guy is going to defeat all those minds? I don't think so. Professor Mike, what do you think?
2: Yeah, Billy, we saw what happened with the disorganization for over a decade, at least a decade you know, with with the Gilgo Beach investigation. It was going nowhere. It was going nowhere permanently. It was like stuck in concrete. But as uh, soon as you had some people with a, uh, a can do attitude, you know, Tierney and, and uh, Commissioner Harrison, you know, you got some momentum going. I remember seeing a video of, of uh, Commissioner Harrison on his first day in office, like first week in office, going to the crime scenes, walking the crime scenes, as just like when he was originally an investigator 25 years earlier, seeing what what the guys see. What are they what have they seen? Going back and looking at everything and seeing the mess that w- had been created over the years, putting some order to it. And then once you got that, you've got Sheriff Toulon and you've got ADA tyranny. you put everybody together, you got the state police and that sort of thing. Uh, You have a synergy. It's all about the egos, as Sheriff Talon said, putting that all aside, saying, you know, and getting some competent people in the right spot and giving them the ability to do what they got to do. And it was so fast when you look at the timeline from the time that task force was put together within like three or four months, boom, they've got a name. And they, for the rest of the time, they slowly close the net on them, And that's professional police work from, from A to Z. Amazing effort.
0: Sheriff, you have some fans in the chat. There's someone, Diane Krause, loves Sheriff Toulon. We'll get to, I'm sure there's more fans there, but I just wanted to show you that in the spirit of Christmas, in the spirit of the season. You do have some fans in the chat. Someone in the chat said before that we're always picking on attorney John Ray. No, we're not. We're just, we're just. You know, he has to vet his information too. He had a press conference. He put out some information there that, to me, was a little bit tough to believe, and it has to be vetted. And so far, we haven't heard. And and again, it had to go to the task force. They had to interview the very people who he has signed affidavits from. It can either be smoking gun information or it can be garbage. That's a French word for garbage, right. right? So it's it's either, and we would be remiss in our reporting duties if we ignored it. We can't ignore it. and We can't, you know, pussyfoot around it. We have to say whether it's good or not. Phil, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, uh, listen, I touched upon that earlier when uh, Sheriff Toulon was saying how uh, they did interview uh, several sex workers, and now they're going to vet that information. It was given off to the task force, and we have to be able to corroborate. Are they being uh, looking for their 15 minutes of fame, or are they being cooperative with something that they really had an interaction with him? In any case, that's very, very important. Any investigation, homicide investigation, it could be a, a petit loss in the investigation. When you have information, you have to vet it, you have to be able to corroborate it. So those are the things that are being done now. Now, quick question to Sheriff Toulon. Uh, I know that we were trying to touch on it before we had a little technical difficulty. Does uh, Rex Human have access to computers? Because we know he did a ton of computer searches uh, that they put forth in that affidavit that was uh, originally uh, given out after he was arrested. Does he have access to computers in the jail, sir?
3: So it's by court order. He does have access to a computer to review only his... um, his discovery uh, materials for his case. Uh, He can do research on on, uh, those computers uh, through our law library system uh, with any similar cases or anything that he may want to do research on, specifically to his case. He doesn't have internet access where he can uh, Google things and uh, find out things about anyone else. It's really restricted and it is a law library system that all inmates can use.
0: Very interesting. Light Walkers. <clears throat> I can see U- Ewoman being compliant. It's his personality. People with NPD and psychopathy, many times, I've got the extreme underdog, but also al- anal- analogous to a serpent with a very smooth underbelly. Light Walkers, very good, uh, very well written. Uh, that's his personality. That's why some of the things that were reported about him, about him firing a gun, about doing this, that, and the other thing, it didn't seem. In consistent with the personality of a serial killer. And that's why we questioned it. And don't forget, myself, Phil, and Mike were all investigators. You know, we did this for a living for many, many years. I mean, we're not as renowned as Sheriff Toulon, and, and most of us have a little bit of hair, even though it's it's white in color. But So we're not in that... <laughs> we're well, not in the magnificent 3 club but you know
1: we weren't born yesterday we we've been around a little bit Right. Yeah. And, and we always try to stay fact-based because we have our experience. We've been through this. It's not like this is our first rodeo. We've been through these type of investigations. We've all had interaction with murderers and I've had some interaction with serial killers. I think Bill as well. I don't know about Mike. No. So uh, it's not that we're coming from left field with, uh, you know, our opinions on things. Are we a hundred percent correct? Listen, anything's possible in these cases, but we try to give our best professional opinion on, uh, Stuff that's already been put forward, we vet evidence and we have a way of uh looking at it from an investigator's point, an investigative perspective. I think we lost the sheriff again, unfortunately. But uh, you know, so uh, whenever we do make a comment on something that's reported in a case, it's coming from a professional. A factual standpoint. And again, uh, we're not perfect. We're not always right. And we always say this, we don't have access, intimate access to the case file. We don't read the case file of the current investigation. But uh, we do have someone today, uh, Sheriff Toulon, who did have some intimate knowledge of the case. So I think a lot of the things that he brought out today were just fantastic. I think we got a great idea of what his everyday life is like in jail, Rex Human, And we know that perhaps maybe there's going to be some charges coming forward on the fourth uh, person that we talked about, uh, you know, one of the victims. There could be charges in that case. And uh, I I thought it was great uh, having the sheriff on today. Absolutely. Sheriff Toulon, I don't want to keep you here
0: all night because I know this is Christmas party season. You're probably invited to about 10 parties tonight. So I'm going to go around and we're going to give our final thoughts and I'm going to give you the last thought. But Phil, uh, well, let me go to Mike. You were just talking, Phil.
2: Uh, I just want to, the public, to say thank you to Sheriff Toulon and, and and to Rodney Harrison and, and uh ADA Tierney for doing a bang-up job with the investigation. Thank goodness they all came together and did it, and the synergy was excellent, and we got great results. And I think the public should be aware that that level of cooperation isn't always that common in law enforcement. And thank goodness out in Suffolk County um, with New York State Police and everybody and the, and the Suffolk County and, and other departments that it all came together. So thank goodness for that.
1: Phil, your final words. Final words. Thank you, Sheriff. It was uh, such a pleasure and an honor to be on with you tonight. You're obviously a professional, a consummate professional. Uh, I tip my hat to you. I tip my hat to Rodney Harrison. I think that, uh, all of the people, all of the five agencies that work together in this case, uh, that's how we got the result that we got. It took a long time, but we did get, uh, we got charges on three and perhaps a fourth of the victims. Uh, just on a personal note, Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, happy holidays. Uh, hopefully we'll see you before Christmas, but if we don't, everybody stay safe out there. Enjoy the holidays. As Bill said in the beginning of the show, don't drink and drive. It's not worth it. Call an Uber, have fun, enjoy your families, enjoy life and God bless to everyone. And happy holidays and Merry Christmas.
0: That's great. Phil, uh, Sheriff Toulon, before you disappear again, I just want to thank you so much. You're a great guy. I want to meet you in person one day. Uh, I, I know Kevin Catalina. I worked with him. He was a co to three two when I was in homicide. All these guys stay around. They're going to work till they die, I think, you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just doing this. I'm just a, a mild-mannered podcaster, you know. But, Sheriff, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much, and, and thank your assistant. She's a, always a pleasure to deal with. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Prospero año. Felicidad. You know, that's all about the extent of my Spanish. Final word, Sheriff.
3: Well, first of all, Merry Christmas to you and your families. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very sorry about the technical difficulties. If you have me on again in 24, I'll make sure the bill is paid, so we won't have these <laughs> two options. But I, we're I going to hold you forward. to that.
1: You got to come back on <laughs> in 24.
3: But I, I will definitely uh, anything that goes on with Rex Herman. Uh, you know, we'll keep you updated and keep your listeners updated, and uh, more importantly, we're going to continue to keep Suffolk County safe. Little man, you. Thank
0: you so much, Sheriff. So great to have you on the show. Folks, Merry Christmas. Again, if you drink, do not drive. Call Sheriff Talon. He'll give you a ride. Or call Uber, <laughs> you know. But do not drink and drive. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you on the next one.
1: God Good bless you. Stay safe, everyone.
3: One episode just